You hunting something? Something on your mind? Usual business. Make yourself at home. A, a thing that I mean to have you know is, is that I ain't no goddamn preacher. That's okay, son. Mama don't mind if you ain't no preacher, as long as you got $4. Wise Blood is a 1979 American made. I don't think it's a classic. Is it a quasi classic? Maybe, perhaps. Directed by John Houston, the actor director John Houston. You probably know his face. Looks like a grandpa. He plays the grandfather in this. And uh, the uh, it stars the it stars Brad Dorif, D O U R I F, in a rare leading role. Another guy who, if you Google, just give him a Google. He's he's been around. Uh, we are you are tuned in. I should just get this out of the way here. As I as I want to as I want to do the two hundred and forty third edition of the movie review show with me, your host Jeff, a part of MySpace the podcast. That's right. It also comes out as a podcast, as it should. It's all audio. Why not? But it ends up at uh, there's there's all these different websites and things. It's all very confusing. I've I've come to know, and uh, I'm aware of it, and I'm working on it. Uh, this one's gonna I hopefully be. I I got some. I'm gonna try and do this one a little differently. I got these clips ready to drag and drop, so I'm trying to like hone in on my process. So we'll probably be probably this one's gonna be a little different, maybe even a little better. I would. I hopefully it's gonna be a little better. Uh, it is the 747th episode of the MySpace the podcast. Uh, pod my, MySpace. I just I say pi MySpace the podcast. Pod it's redundant the podcast at gmail that's the uh, email address for the show for me to reach out to me jeff questions complaints comments i like i said this one hopefully is, is gonna be a little better i got some stuff ready to go so we're gonna get clips ready to drag and drop we're gonna be doing the whole the whole shebang here on the 747th episode of myspace the podcast on the 243rd movie review the 291st movie i don't know why i'm obsessed with these numbers Seems arbitrary, and it is. If it seems arbitrary, it is arbitrary. But like I said, I got look. We got some good stuff. All right. So what we so this is actually the thirty third John Houston movie. Now I haven't gone. Oh, here we go. John Houston f- director filmography. All right. Let's see if we can find. Oh man, here we go. All right. Clicked on the wrong thing. Why is this in alphabetical order? Come on. All right. Bear with me. As per usual, uh, we're going to do the film. Where's the filmography? <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to think of this. Like any, I've, I've ever seen one of his movies before because he's made so many goddamn movies. 33 of these go dating back to the late 40s. A non a non comprehensive list just to get a feel for what this man is all about. Uh, he did um, Key Largo, nineteen forty eight. 
I'll stop if I've, if I've seen any of these. Probably have not. I don't think I have. The Asphalt Jungle, 1950. Heard of that. Oh, African Queen, 1951. Red Badge of Courage, 1951. That's a twofer. I haven't seen either one. He did a Moby Dick adaptation, 1956. The Misfits. That's the, uh, but the band. No. Uh, blah blah blah. He did. He did a, a movie called The Bible: Colon in the beginning. Um, Fat City: The Man Who Would Be King, and then we get that's the seven, some couple seventies titles, and that gets us to Wise Blood here in nineteen seventy nine. Let's just go look ahead, and then uh, un, Under the Volcano and the Dead, nineteen eighty seven, his final film, is a classic short story by James Joyce. Uh, I don't. I I'd never seen any of these. So thirty. He directed like over only. Th- I guess just to forty films, and I haven't seen a goddamn one of them. So that's that's the setup here. Uh, I where I was alerted to see this movie because uh, it was talked about by the singer uh, Natalie Merchant. No, Natalie something. Who I think her name's Natalie. Who goes by the stage name Wise Blood? She spells it with the I think it's the Irish spelling of Wise. W-E-Y-E-S, blood. Um, but this is, of course, the regular American spelling of Wise blood. And they're talking about it. I was listening to a podcast with that, that singer on there. And, it, you know, it was just one of those movies where I was like, okay, that's enough recommendation for me. I'll check it out. Uh, and uh, there you have it. And I just made my list and I watched it. And... I, I it was one of these movies where I liked it more thinking about it afterwards than I probably enjoyed it uh, in in the actual watching, which is an interesting effect and not one that is typical for me. Uh, but I found to when I thought about a lot of it, I was like, you know what, this was this was really well done. And when I was going back and I was pulling the clips, because what I did was on just just to further complicate where you can get the, all of this content. Is I have I'm I'm starting to use this Twitter account now, which I was sort of not using at all, and I I like the handle really. Is I got the handle at ingesting, so now I'm kind of like maybe kind of thematically doing something like at ingesting cinema. Why not? And uh, let's have some fun with that. So I posted a lot of these short clips in a thread over there, and screw it, I'll just make it the pin. I'll make it a pin tweet. Why not? Uh, so if you go to uh, twitter.com slash ingesting and uh, there's not a lot of words. There's not a lot of words that are not uh, you can't you can use for your Twitter name. So you get a good one like that. You got to take it. I'm going to pin that tweet just so that's easy to find. If you're out there listening and uh, you want to check it out because I think it, it was sort of and then I built my re- my written review. I built my and I was going to do something where I just read the written review. I was going to keep it like super clean and just do a podcast where it was. Uh, I did I did this before with the David Lynch uh, David Lynch ranking episode. If you're familiar, and um, <clears throat> got a lot of great feedback for that one. No, not really. But I'm gonna pin this tweet. It's fine. Whatever. I'm. I'm doing it right now in there. I just did it. It's pinned. Uh, God bless. God bless you. God bless you. 
So this guy, Brad Dor- Dorif. Man, while we're here, we might as well do this whole thing. Because why, why not? What are, what are we doing here if we're not trying to just have a little bit of fun? And if we can't have fun together, I don't. what's the point? So let's go and I'll tell you a little bit about Brad. You know who he is, first of all. You absolutely know who he is. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He played Billy Bibbit. Billy, he he voices the voice of Chucky in the Child's Play franchise, the classic era, all the way to 2017. So he, I guess he did the Child's Play Chucky voice for all those movies. Um, he was in Dune. What did he play in Dune? I wonder. I'm trying to, I think he was one of like the henchmen. Peter Davies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, okay, this yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, so he was in David Lynch's Dune. Um, is a funny character, funny looking character. Uh, he was in Deadwood. I think he was a pretty big part in Deadwood. He was in Blue Velvet too. Why was he in Blue Velvet? He was. Oh, he's. I think he was one of the guys hanging out with uh, with a uh, Hopper. I believe. Um. Anyway, yeah, Raymond. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is this is great. He was in the Exorcist. <laughs> he was in the Exorcist Three, Alien Resurrection. He was in. He's been in a lot of stuff. You know, go to his film filmography. He just pops up and stuff. He's got that face. I feel like, is you know, just, just stuff. He's in stuff, but he's the lead here, which is like, see, I I love finding guys who are like the kind of these other guys. But then they, every once in a while, they're in these old, old movies where they get to play the lead, and they're really great. And you're like, what happened? Like, why? You know, because he's not classic looking guy. He just was buried by Hollywood of the late seventies and eighties, and then just never kind of never came out of it. Because honestly, like, he's such a good actor, he could probably carry a lot of stuff. And that's the main thing I want to say about this movie is that it, it, it's an actor's movie. It really focuses on performances and let these guys and this and a, and a nice screenplay based on, of course, took me long enough to get to the Flannery O'Connor, her debut novel, uh, which is to say she's a master, and uh, a lot of her work has been made into films, and I think it's been hit or miss, but this one is a successful one, and so it starts off. I'm gonna run down. Look, and this is this is the new format. And if it works, it works. If it don't, it don't. Okay. We got we got Hazel Motes, young Hazel Motes, plays a veteran of an unnamed war. He returns home to the family farm. Everybody's gone. The place is a mess, dilapidated. Nobody's there. He's asking around, like, "Where's my family?" No one knows. His family's gone. He's a, he's an orphan essentially. He comes back from war. And he's everything. They either died or they left. And say say boo to him. He gets sympathetic about a uh, wardrobe, a shifferobe, which he misspells on a note that he posts that says this was hit, belongs to Hazel Moats. If anyone takes it, he's going to hunt you down and kill you. So, but he leaves his house and he gets in a cab. It's interesting about the misspelling on the note because then that, that kind of plays back into the uh, the opening credits of this movie are, are purposely misspelled. Like John Houston's name is misspelled. I think there were some other ones I wasn't paying that much attention, uh, which is an interesting idea. And it made me think, like, is this like some meta commentary on whose whose stories these are? Like, who 
like we're telling these stories about a certain people who don't know how to spell, you know, or don't who are racist and there's they're so flawed. But these are their stories, and and the people who get to make the stories aren't you know they don't know how to spell their own name, they don't know how to read and write. They're essentially, hopefully, not racist, and so on and so forth. So I was wondering if is, is there like somebody was say was that was that misspelling of the name of the director and and the opening credits crawl. Was that like some sort of meta commentary on the elitism and just the whole idea of uh, movie making and, 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 and production of cinema and TV and who gets to tell what stories and of what nature? I don't know the answer to that. So Hazel hops in a cab after going to uh, – actually, I'm sorry. He hops in a train. Buys a new suit, hops in a train. A couple of people tell him he looks like a preacher. Very taken aback by that because he's wearing, he, he buys a silly hat at the clothes store. He's sort of a lost soul. He doesn't know how to fit in. That's a kind of a narrative here we're going to get into. This idea of, of, not, of just wayward souls, lost souls, lonely people. Takes a train ride to the big city. Sees an address for a lady of the night on the bathroom wall. And he hails himself a cab. 60 Buckley Road. You ain't no friend of hers, are you? I never saw her before. She don't usually have no preacher for company. I ain't a preacher. I only seen her name on in a toilet. Well, you look like a preacher. Your hat looks like a preacher's hat. It ain't. It's, it's just a hat. Well, it ain't only the hat. It's a look on your face somewhere. Look here, I know preacher. Now, I understand it ain't anybody perfect on this green earth. Not preachers, not nobody. And you can tell folks better how terrible sin is if you know from your own experience. Listen, get this. There ain't but one thing that I want you to understand, and that's that I don't believe in anything. Nothing at all? Nothing. Well, that's the problem with you preachers. You've all got too damn good to believe in anything. So there you, there you have it in a nutshell, that scene. That's the cab ride scene to the whore, the hair. Uh, he, this, this idea of believing in something, believing in nothing. Who gets to believe in what? The levels of, you know, it's, it's all, the, the idea of religion is so tied especially in the South, so deeply tied into this day-in, day-out life that you just can't escape it. And, and we find that through flashbacks, our hero, our anti-hero, Hazel Motes, is a, was subjected to some pretty hardcore biblical preaching stuff, was made to walk with rocks in his shoes, was uh, put on display uh, by the grandfather who was a preacher. And... Um, you know, we lead to a guy like Hazel now who's in his early 20s and he's this sort of broken, broken guy who is, a, why wouldn't he rebel against the church? It's only right and natural. And he can't escape it. And he finds he, he can't escape it any which way he goes. He goes to visit the, uh, uh, the, pre, the, uh, the, the, the uh, prostitute and it's the same thing. He, he looks at her and he wants her to know something right uh, off the bat. The uh, thing that I mean to have you know is is that I ain't no goddamn preacher. 
That's okay, son. Mama don't mind if you ain't no preacher, as long as you got four dollars. Okay, folks, gather around. Look at this miracle peeler here, folks. You know what? Now I'm gonna give away a half a dozen. A half a dozen peeled potatoes. The first one that buys one of these here miracle machines. Who's gonna be first now? Okay, folks, who's gonna be number one? What about you back there? You can't afford a passive bargain like this. You know that? What's your name, boy? Name? Enoch Emery. Oh, oh, a boy with a pretty name like that ought to have one of these machines. Okay, folks, let's go. Who'll be the first one here? Who'll be the first one here? Help you over here. blind preacher. He's talking to you. Talking to you. Yeah, that's right. Help the blind preacher and his daughter spread the word of Jesus here. Who'll be first now? Okay, I'm going to start preaching here. What the hell do you think you're doing? What the hell do you think you're doing? I got this crowd together. What the hell do you think you are? Why are you thinking like this? What do you think you're doing? What the hell do you think you're doing? I got these people together. Get out of here. I got this crowd together. Get out of here. You all do. Be like this, you know that? It gets on me. I got this crowd together. Help the blind unemployed preacher here. Goddamn communist foreigners. I got this crowd together. Okay, folks, pay no attention to him, folks. Who'll be number one? Who'll be the first one to buy one of these? I see. Are you saving your money when your soul ain't saved? Come on, give up a dollar for Jesus. A dollar for Jesus. So a lot happened there in that short frame of the scene with the hooker, who is a great character. She's only in a few scenes, but. Something about her, the portly, portly actress, something very natural with her, like just really, just truly, like off the street kind of freshness to it. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, that was that voice you probably recognized, as well as Harry Dean Stanton's uh, daughter in the film, uh, Amy Wright, a character called Sabbath. That's a, that's the preacher's daughter, and of course Harry Dean Stanton is blind. He's a blind preacher, and then also that scene started with the uh, kind of the snake oil salesman guy selling a potato peeler. Uh, you know, just just everyone's gr- everyone's gr- out there gr- with a grind. You know, they they got a, some sort of grift. They're, they're selling a potato peeler. They're selling salvation. It's all this. It's all the same. Just grind uh, day in day out. How do you get to to a.m. to p.m. in one piece. You got to peel your potatoes. You got to pray to the Lord. What's the difference in the end of the day? The character played by Amy Wright, who I will note, and I noted on I noted on the Twitter account, uh, one of her credits. She's great in this. She's really great as the preacher's daughter. One of her credits in much later in life was. Uh, She's in Synecdoche, New York, the uh, Charlie Kaufman, Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. She plays the amazing, the titled role of Burning House Realtor. And that's exactly what you you think it is. It's a house on fire, and she's trying to sell it. If you recall that scene from that movie or not, you can go over to the At Ingesting Twitter feed. I posted it out there. I'm not going to play it here because it's sort of not what we're doing. But uh, it's a great scene. It's more of a visual scene anyway, so it wouldn't work, wouldn't work so well here. Another guy you heard in that last clip was Enoch Emery. He was he's kind of a ta- uh, city dullard. He was also a, a real lonely guy, and he kind of latches on to Hazel. Just a guy looking for a friend. He said he's been here for two whole months, and he hasn't met anybody. He, that's one thing he says to him at one point. And uh, he he actually gets to deliver the titular line of the movie shortly thereafter, uh, that last scene. 
and he is also searching. He's searching in his own way. He's he's sort of this guy who, whereas Hazel's character has taken this search for redemption to these very extreme, and they'll they'll grow more extreme as the film goes on. Conclusions. Uh, Enoch's character is, is is kind of reverted back to just childlike and he he so it's one one it, hazel wants to fast forward to the grave enoch wants to go back to to the to the to the cradle and we get this this again is the titular line uh delivered by one enoch emery who uh an actor uh was it don shore i'll look it up after we play the clip Exactly, but this guy who played uh, Ram and Tron and Billy the Kid in uh, the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What's it called? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Fantastic Voyage? Oh, man. All right. My brain's half working. I'm just recovering from... uh... I've been sick for the whole decade, and that's still the case. What are you talking about? About I know things I ain't never learned. How I can see signs. It's something that just happens, and I got to do some things sometimes. I got to do some things sometimes I don't even want to do. And sometimes inside me, I can feel it. I can feel it pulling and tugging at me and pushing, and I can feel my blood beating, and I got to do this thing right now. It's, it's wise blood. Ain't everybody has it. See, it's a gift. It's a gift, like uh, a gift for the prophets. Now, I ain't saying I'm a prophet. No, it ain't like that, but it's like that. You're crazy, boy. You get away from me and you stay away. I'm going where I'm going. I got a woman. I got a woman, see? And that's where I'm going, to visit her. So the idea that anybody in this character has wise blood flowing through their veins, and it's that character, is pretty silly. Um, we get a lot of racism, and it's the kind of question... The film is is not a is not racist is not a racist film. It's trying to I think it's clearly and I think Flannery O'Connor is trying to uh, point out the racism inherent in society in these characters with these characters. It's a tricky subject because I think that you can you know you can make the case against someone like Flannery O'Connor or even John Huston at all for producing this. And casually throw having their characters casually throw around the n word as 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 they do. I was grappling with it and try to trying to kind of wrap my head around wrap my head around the best way to consolidate it, process it, think about it in a in a kind of a nuanced, intelligent way, which isn't it's not easy. It's very it's a it's a prickly. The prickly patch. It's a slippery slope. It's another rhyming, uh, alliterative way to describe something. It, it's. I, I I I googled. I did some googling. To be honest with you, I had my soul searching involved some googling, and I found a good uh, essay written in the New Yorker. By Hilton, I write on Hilton Owls, Owls, A L A L S, Hilton Owls, and I, I this quote is fairly short, and I think it sums up a lot better than I did about this 
feeling. And I think he believes that this work of art, these work of arts, the you know, I think he's specifically talking about Flannery O'Connor in the written text, but we'll, we'll uh, adapt it for our purposes here. I'm just going to read a quote from that New Yorker piece. He wrote, Motes has a grudge against Jesus. He equates him with sin, or specifically with the sins that he himself has committed and cannot escape. Not in the eyes of his relatives, rotten with fake piety, who believe that only the Lord can wash him clean and are no, no, men, are no better than, I'm sorry, who believe that only the Lord can wash him clean and are no better than N-words who think that the Lord will make them white. And so this next scene I'm going to play a part of, uh, he uses the N-word, and I think that line he's about to say here, Hazel, the character, is summed, is is very well explained by what I just read. So check out this clip. I should note that his, what you're watching or listening to is his car is just stalled out in the middle of the road and he stops and sees something written to the rock wall and then he has a flashback to his grandfather. For that boy there, he would die ten million times. He will chase him over the waters of sin. You doubt that Jesus walks over the waters of sin? This boy has been chased, and he will be redeemed. Jesus will never leave him ever. Jesus will have you in the end. What are you doing, Park, in the middle of the road, son? Take your hand off my shoulder. I'm reading that sign. There ain't a person. A whoremonger who wasn't something worse first. That ain't the sin nor the blasphemy. The sin came before him. Jesus is a trick on niggers. Well, will you get this goddamn outhouse out of the middle of the road? I don't have to run away from anything because I don't believe in anything. What direction's the zoo in? Back the other way. That where you escaped from? So, pretty pretty sick burn there. Did you escape from the zoo? And there's a whole line of traffic uh, piled up behind them. It's a pretty powerful scene. It cuts deeply to this. What I what I also read it as is this idea this deep self hatred, which is a lot of racism, right? Like it's just kind of you know it's really self hatred at the end of the day. You hate yourself, so you make these you make up these lies that. You know, the people who are the most different from you are the are the people causing your own problems. You know, I it's it's a complicated thing, and it's it's not something I'm going to be able to solve or just dissect in a single podcast. But I, I it needed to be addressed. Okay, the next I'm not going to play the this next clip because uh, most it's just audio. Although you know what, I'm going to play I'm going to I'm going to play this clip. Just to give you an idea of the uh, soundtrack of this film, uh, which I have some issues with. Uh, so let's this in this scene, we go back to Emery Enoch, or Enoch Emery rather. Sorry, and uh, he's you know he's he's searching for his own meaning in life, and he has these uh, two kind of 
very comical scenes where one of them he steals a uh, shrunken corpse from a South American Indian at a local museum. It's just like a like a voodoo shrunken corpse that eventually ends up in the hands of Sabbath, who becomes she, she's that's like the Jesus. She's all that's you know, that that's enough for her. She found salvation in that. And uh, and then eventually in another scene, Enoch uh, cuts the line of these children waiting to shake hands with a man in a gorilla suit, sort of like a knockoff King Kong movie playing at a local theater in this uh, called Ganga. And uh, the big truck comes up, just shake hands with Ganga, and he becomes obsessed with Ganga to the point where he steals the Ganga outfit and puts it on and put plays some immature pranks on uh, some elderly people. And that's his way of that's his that's his preaching, you know that that's his way of acting out. And I appreciate that there was a kind of a B roll. I'm sorry, not a B roll, a B a B plot. Almost had like a these old movies could kind of do a do a B story and have it be its own arc. Where it's it's that that idea in filmmaking is kind of lost, and it's easier to do in an adaptation of a novel where there's that that's going on a lot of the times. Uh, but and and they connect like the B plot and the A plot touch, but uh, but but Enoch's story is sort of its own kind of like search, and he does and he goes on these kind of wacky adventures. I mean, listen listen to this wig, wig stealing music. Not wig, not he's not it's not stealing. He puts on a wig to go steal the corpse. But listen. Kind of this Aaron Copeland, but like old timey Americana soundtrack, just warped in a in a way that's just bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to put my finger on it. It's not bad, but it's also just not, maybe not great. I don't know. Uh, the movie goes on and on and on, and uh, stuff happens. Blah blah blah. What am I? What the? The one of my favorite parts of the movie uh, is Sabbath and Hazel uh, in a car together, and they have this really delightful back and forth where Hazel is concerned about one thing she said and not really listening to anything else, and they're not really listening to one another, and they're talking over one another, and it's it's just a delight to see two actors can kind of take a script. That simple enough to read on, on the page, I'm sure, but just to, to nail the timing of a scene like this, it's really good. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It's probably my favorite scene. Uh, it was right before they hook up. Check this out. My name is Sabbath. Sabbath Lily Hawks. My mother named me that just after I was born because I was born on the Sabbath. And then she turned over in her bed and died, and I never seen her. Uh huh. Him and her wasn't married, and that makes me a bastard. But I can't help it. It's what he done to me, and not what I done to myself. Bastard? A real bastard. Do you know what? A bastard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. How could you be a bastard you when you're dead? No. Well, there's this woman in it named Mary Brittle that tells you what to do when you don't know. 
You couldn't. I wrote her a letter and asked her what I was to do. You couldn't be a bastard I when says, your daddy Mary, planned. I am a bastard, and a bastard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, as we all know. But I have this personality that makes boys follow me. Do you think I should neck or not? I shall not enter the kingdom of heaven anyway, so I don't see what difference it makes. Listen here, if your daddy then was. Then she a answered my letter in the paper. She said, Dear Sabbath, light necking is acceptable. But I think your real problem is one of adjustment to the modern world. Perhaps you ought to re-examine your religious values to see if they meet your needs in life. A religious experience can be a beautiful addition to living if you put it in the proper perspective and do not let it warp you. Read some books on ethical culture. You couldn't be a bastard when you're, you must be mixed up. Your daddy blinded himself for Jesus I wrote Christ. I another letter that says, Dear Mary, what I really want to know is, should I go the whole hog or not? That's my real problem. I'm adjusted okay to the modern world. But your daddy blinded himself for Jesus. He wasn't always as holy as he is now. She never answered my second letter. You mean in his youth your daddy didn't believe, but he come to. Is that what you mean? Or ain't it? That's right. You quit feeling that my leg with yours. You turn down that dirt road. How, how did he come to believe? What changed him to a preacher of Jesus? Why don't we get out and sit under the trees where we could get better acquainted? Was he always such an evil-seeming man, or before he came to believe, or just partway evil-seeming? All the way evil. Stop the car. So good. Really uh, a great piece of filmmaking, in my opinion. Another character shows up in the form of Ned Beatty, the actor Ned Beatty. You know Ned Beatty, Deliverance, etc. And he sees our Hazel doing his preaching. Hazel has uh, gone on to found, uh, he found, found is a, is an interesting word, but he, he, he starts a, the Holy Church of Christ without Christ. And he starts preaching his nihilistic anti-church message to the masses. And by, when I say masses, I mean seven people outside of a bar as he screams like a madman from on top of his car. His car also is sort of this running uh, symbol it's sort of the symbol to end all symbols. I mean, he he, it's the one thing he gives kind of reverence to, and he's like, it's a good car. You know, he doesn't have a look. He's not, he's not uh, kind and, uh, or, or um, generous with his compliments. But the one thing he's sure of is, is this piece of crap car that he bought for with the last of his army money is gonna gonna last till the end of time, and is a good car. Even though, despite all the con- all the evidence to the contrary. That is, is a piece of junk, and it is, and it is uh, not reliable. He is put all the only faith he has. He's put into this car, and we'll get back to the car in a minute. But he uses the car as a pedestal to do his anti-preaching. Ned Beatty sees him, says, "Oh, there's a like-minded grifter like me. Okay, I'm gonna uh, take this guy under my wings. Maybe we can kind of uh, do a hustle together, and make some cash." But Hazel's the real deal. He doesn't want any part of this Ned Beatty and his uh, shifty, shady ways. So what happens is uh, Ned recruits Uncle Lewis from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You know Uncle Lewis. My stogie. That actor here. And he uh, gives that guy a, a penny to 
go do do his own little preaching thing while he plays the acoustic guitar, and they kind of take over Hazel's uh, space out in front of the bar and uh, take a lot of his uh, his uh, uh, churchgoers or his uh, clergy or, or uh, just uh, steals them. And Hazel is not happy with this. But first, let's take a listen to that a short clip from that scene uh, when uh, Hazel is doing some of his anti-preaching and Ned Beatty rolls up with an acoustic guitar and Uncle Lewis from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going to weren't never there. And where you are ain't no good unless you can get away from it. Your conscience is a trick that don't exist. And if you think it does, then you had best get it out in the open, hunt it down, and kill it. Friends, I want you to meet the new prophet, the true prophet here. I want you to listen to what he says. Listen here. Well, listen to what he says, because I think he's going to make you as happy as he has made me. The unredeemed are redeeming themselves. And the new Jesus is at hand. Watch for this miracle. Help yourselves to salvation in the Holy Church of Christ. Without Christ. Amen. Amen. Prophet. Amen. Amen. Your conscience is a trick. You have to get out in the open, hunt it down, and kill it. Is a such a good line, and I'm I'm, I'm assuming it's right out of the Flannery O'Connor text. Uh, there's a this movie's kind of chock full of these great lines. That could be just they're so good that they could be from sort of like some. In a lot of ways, they're they're smart. Both twofold. So they're smart just as as a device in in the world of this film, but they're also just stuff I could see in like a Buddhist text or some sort of modern Buddhist adaptation. Uh, just this idea of like killing the self, or you, where you're going, you know, we're never really there. That that's that stuff. And the movies later, I can you could pull out so much stuff from this movie in terms of uh, Hazel, especially has most of those lines. Uh, but but there you have it. That that really sets Hazel off. He goes and he tracks down. Uh, spoiler: He goes down and tracks down um, Uncle Lewis, and he runs him over with his car. So he, he commits murder. Uh, he's then he's then stopped by a cop, who, not necessarily is pulling him over for anything related to that, but then says he doesn't like the look on his face, and he takes his the cop takes his car, and finally kills it. He rolls it down a hill into a lake. So there's the car dying, and that's rock bottom for old Hazel. Once the car, that one symbol, the one thing he's put any bit of his actual faith in the world into. Once he sees that go roll down the hill, he's he's about had it. He goes and he gets a, uh, a container of lye and he blinds himself for real. And uh, our old blind preacher in the in the earlier uh, the Harry Dean Stanton character, he's 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 a faker. He was never really blind, and he finds out that uh, also from uh, Sabbath, uh, and he goes and sees for himself too. But all that all that kind of comes to a head. He can't take it anymore. He blinds himself. Sabbath runs out screaming. He's truly alone in the world now, and he's paying for all the sins. And the only person left is a character, um, the landlady character, who, you know, one one minor flaw of the movie, the two, the two minor flaws of the movie, I think, were the music, which I thought was a little silly sounding, 
And the this character of the landlady becomes this, in the last 10 minutes, becomes sort of a central piece where she's not really in it at all in the movie. I, I assume she's more flushed out in the book. But uh, she has a notable scene here in the last clip I'll play. Uh, so even after he blinds himself, it's not enough. Hazel is just not done. He's not done till he's going to be dead in the ground. He needs to pay, pay, pay. He starts rocking, walk, walking. He's, I guess you could call him rocking. Walk, he walks with rocks in his shoes. I call that rocking. Uh, he's walking. He puts the rocks in his boots. He's walking around. He's blind. He's blinded himself with lie. He can't see. He needs this landlady to take him everywhere. And then on top of that, he wraps his torso in barbed wire under his shirt. So he's just bleeding all over himself. Got blood all over the bed. This poor lady doesn't know what to do with him. She asks him to marry her because she doesn't think it's right that he's living there and she's doing all this. She's just a good soul and she's just like, "What? Do I, what it's not right if you just live here and we're not married. She's like, she wish she could marry. But uh, Hazel's got other ideas. Hazel's only next, his next uh, destination is the grave because that's what this is all leading to. He just can't take being alive. He's got to pay for these sins. And there's no price. There's really no price tag because it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a figure that is just doesn't exist. It's too high. Ah! Mr. Moats, that wire. What's that wire around you for? What do you do these things for? To pay. Pay. Pay for what? Don't make any difference what for. It's not natural. It's it's natural. Well, it's not normal. It is like one of them gory stories that some people have quit doing, like boiling in oil or being a saint or walling up cats. There's no reason to it. People have quit doing it. Hey, they ain't quit. Doing it as long as I'm doing it. And another good Hazelism there. That's Wise Blood. You know, he, uh, I guess the ending of the book is a little different than the ending of the movie. It's good. It's a good movie. Give it a nine. Niner. It's like a 9.17 something. I don't know. When I was watching it, I was thinking, when I got done watching it, I was like, maybe it was an eight. But then again, I was doing these clips and stuff, and I was pulling them out. I was like, this is some good stuff here. It's the 70s American cinema is always, I think, kind of propped up a little too high, maybe. But there's like a style that this falls falls in line with that feels very much of the era. And when it's good, it's good. And you can kind of recognize it as such. Uh, John Huston. Wise Blood, 1979. And that's the end of the review. We did, we done it. We done did it. We done it. Uh, fist. What? That's right, Fist. 19, we're going to stay in late 70s cinema. 1978. No, uh, Norman Jewison. Jewison uh, directed... Sly Stallone's first movie after making Rocky. That's right. The original Irishman. I'm not even kidding you. It's 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 so eerily similar to the Irishman. Uh we're gonna talk all about it. Uh it's called Fist. It's an acronym. 
I had a movie I'd never heard of until I went to a random movie generator and this popped up and I said, okay, I'll, I'll track this one down. And I did. And it's, it's a little too long, just like The Irishman. But uh, is it better than The Irishman? You'll have to wait and see. That'll be the next episode of the Movie Review Show. For now, I bid you a good do. And I thank you. Do, I do thank you for listening. I just tried to mix it up here with the clips here and it went a little longer than I have been, I have been going of, uh, of late. Uh, I'm trying to get these in. I think like a half hour is a good per movie is a good. You know, I, I don't. That, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't like to cookie cutter it. I feel like they can be their own thing, and that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, I'll give it a score here while we're at it, just because I want to get all my dot my all my eyes and cross all my little t- beautiful T's. Cross those little T's on the booties. Nine point one seven. This is where the uh, scoring system is off. Nine point one seven two. Okay, Wise Blood. Got the Fisk movie coming up. There's a uh, actually a whole. Uh, there's three other movies that I've watched recently. Uh, sick. Um, which I won't, yeah. You know, we'll we'll, those will come out when they come out, and uh, you'll know what they are when they come out. And uh, <laughs> that's it. That's all I've got. That's all I freaking got for you. I hope you enjoy the show.